It's time to talk sports. It's Hacksaw's Headlines. A panorama of the world of sports. Stories, comments, and opinions. Now, here's iconic sports talk show host Lee Hacksaw Hamilton and co-host John Riley. It's a Thursday across America, and it's time to talk sports. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Lee Hacksaw Hamilton, along with my co-host, John Riley. We're going to be with you now for the next half hour to talk sports. And, John, before we get started with all the stories that we want to discuss on a Thursday, let's talk about something unique that we are adding to our Thursday podcast, The Fans Forum. Yeah, well, the fan forum is that we're going to take your comments and questions. If you're watching the live stream on either Facebook or YouTube, you can just type in the questions and comments. We'll see them on the screen. And, uh, you know, as we get down through the show, we'll be uh, asking Lee some of the questions that you'd like to bring to the table. So it's a way for you to get involved and participate in this podcast. John, we've got a lot of topics on the table. We're going to cover Major League Baseball. We've got news and notes around the NFL. We've got NBA. We've got NHL. We've got a, a historic day in professional golf. So there's a ton of things to discuss. What are your topics on the table? Well, I, I mean, i got to start with Fernando Tatis Jr. I mean, that's where a lot of this starts here in, in San Diego. Let's start with Fernando Tatis. Uh, the press conference this week in the Padre dugout, the beginning of the 80-game suspension. Uh, he's been humbled. He is hurt. He is hurting. Uh, it's really been an uncomfortable situation. What we saw happen to Fernando Tatis this week is what I projected last week in our podcast, John. I thought that when he went to the meeting with General Manager A.J. Preller and the follow-up meeting with the owner, Peter Seidler, they were going to do all the talking. And at the end of the day, they told him things would be different going forward. They told him, you will have shoulder surgery. They <laughs> right. told him, you will rehab in San Diego, not in the Dominican Republic. They told him, if you ever have another physical problem, you're coming to Padre Doctors. You're not going outside the circle for medical treatment. It reverts back to what I said a couple of weeks ago, the day he got suspended. He needed to stop going to the voodoo doctors. He needed to stop <laughs> yeah. buying things yeah, on the black yeah, market. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. This, this is the reason they're in this situation. I think it was, it was immense for him to meet with the media and answer questions for 23 minutes. He kind of meandered a little bit. He wasn't real comfortable. But at the end of the day, he had to make the apologies to everybody, the organization, obviously to his teammates, and to a degree to the fans in San Diego. And I also think the 12-minute meeting in the clubhouse was very uncomfortable for mm -hmm. him because not everybody right now in the midst of a collapsing pennant race is a Fernando Tatis fan, John. So this is a big issue, and there's at least eight players that I know of who've made really critical comments about what Tatis has become. And I'll go back and say something that I said weeks ago uh, on this podcast that I think the money has really changed Fernando Tatis. He's got to get his life under control. He's got to get his priorities under control. He's got to understand his responsibilities, not to himself, not to just being a baseball player, but to that organization and to a degree, the community of San Diego. I guess the burning question, John, and you can give me your response because you're a big-time fan. I work in the media, but you're allowed to be a big-time fan. <laughs> right. the, the, the question yeah. is, can he resurrect his career? Can he rally himself back? I tend to think he can, but his actions are going to be more important than his words going forward. So 
from a Padre fan perspective, what do you feel about Tatis now compared to last Thursday, compared to the first Thursday when he got hit with the suspension? Well, I mean, we were all really disappointed, obviously. Um, and I liked what happened in the the press conference. He seemed to be truly humbled. He seemed to have shown true remorse. I thought it was authentic. And I know for myself, when I was growing up in my early 20s, I did a lot of dumb things. And so you kind of have some of those key moments. So I think I think this might be an opportunity for him to turn the corner. He says he's going to stick around with the team for the rest of the year, including in the offseason. So I think he's making a commitment to his teammates, to his manager, to his GM, and to his president. Like I say, actions now have to follow the words, and we'll track this as we go. But I think he can resurrect his career, regain his credibility, and I hope this is truly a learning experience for him. His team is just in a horrid freefall. Do you know that, oh, that since early June, they're 38 and 41? Yeah. It's amazing. Uh, and they've just come off a dreadful homestand. They're not hitting the baseball. When in your wildest dreams did you ever think a major league team with a payroll like this, without Tatis, a major league team had hit 106 with runners in scoring position as they start their weekend road trip in Kansas City? They're hitting 106 in the last 10 games with runners in scoring position. And I just configured this today. Their team batting average at Petco is 231. <laughs> Jeez. Absolutely anemic. They're hitting better on the road. Then they're hitting at Petco Park. And the fans have started to really turn on them. So this bears watching what happens is in these next six road games going forward, if they can rectify this, because they've they're slid out of the playoff race. And here comes Philadelphia, which is raging hot, and they're getting Bryce Harper back. And yeah. here comes St. Louis, which is rocking and rolling. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the Padres, by the way, I hate to ruin the rest of your weekend. <laughs> the Padres have nine games left with the Dodgers. Oh, God. And the Padres still have six games left with San Francisco, which is always a nasty rivalry. So there's a lot to lay out there with the Padres. But that's not the only team in Southern California that made news. In fact, there was news everywhere on the baseball front here. So, I mean, let's go from one cursed franchise to the other. I mean, they're big news out of Anaheim with, with Artie Moreno, right? Uh, it was a shocker. Now, I, I sensed something was going to change um, at the at the end of the day, owning this baseball team was no longer fun for this baseball man. I've known Artie Moreno a long time, interviewed him a number of different times. He has given up ownership of the franchise. He has put the Angels up for sale. A 20-year run as owner of the Angels. He inherited a team that went to the World Series. Uh, they did very well in the American League West for five of the first six years. He owned the franchise, and it's been a downward ski slope since that point in time for Artie Moreno. Uh, I feel sad for him because I think it's a man who had great intentions when he bought the club. He did a lot of really special things when he bought the club. Very active in free agency, and it's blown up in his face. Now, some of this is his own fault. Artie Moreno spent $1.1 billion in free agents. Artie Moreno won the bidding war to get Shohai Otani uh, from Japan. He developed and paid handsomely to keep Mike Trout. But he has struck out on all types of contracts that he's given people. Uh, The day they gave a 10-year contract to a 32-year-old Albert Pujols, I shook my head and said, "Ah, why would you do that? 
I'm not talking about the $24 million per but year. But was he 32? <laughs> but, <laughs> it, but why would you give a 10-year yeah. contract to a 32-year-old guy yeah. whose statistics had gone downhill yes. Yes. the last group of years? Uh, he wasted an enormous amount of money with a drug trouble Josh Hamilton. And why you would ever give Josh Hamilton the kind of money he did only to have Hamilton relapse and then have to pay him is absolutely stunning. He made a lot of bad transactions, gave a lot of money to ex-Padre Justin Upton, who fell apart, gave a lot of money to Gary Matthews Jr., did the same thing with a couple of other free agents. And they dug themselves a hole from which they've never dug out. They've had miserable uh, uh, years in the draft. They've had pitching after pitching after pitching failure. The last five free agent pitchers they signed, none of them worked out. Composite record of the last five free agent pitchers they signed, 18 and 52. Just just a disaster. And this is a man whose intent was to put a winner on the field in Anaheim. And then what's happened off the field, I think emotionally devastated him. The whole... The the terrible drunk driving death of pitcher Nick Adenhart, mm-hmm. who was an innocent victim in a car that was hit by a drunk driver and died. And it was a bright light, his whole future in front of him. That was one. And then obviously the drug scandal that has re- resulted now in two lawsuits against the Angels and Artie Moreno, the death of Tyler Skaggs in the fentanyl situation, and the fact that they found out that their PR director, Eric Kay, was dealing drugs in a clubhouse and gave drugs to Taylor Skaggs, who killed himself on a road trip in Texas a couple of years ago. Uh, the organization's been dragged into the abyss there. So the bottom line on Artie Moreno, tremendous intent, I think a very credible man, has poured a lot of money into this organization. And I think he has just been broadsided and staggered by all the sad things that have happened under his watch And I think owning a team is no longer fun, and I think that's why he woke up months ago. And I felt this, that he was going to walk away from baseball because all these negative things kept happening. And, yeah, did he make mistakes hiring general managers? Sure. Did he make mistakes on handling managers? Sure. Is he too impulsive? Yeah, but his his intentions were pretty good. It's a little bit of George Steinbrenner and Artie Moreno in terms of, I want this, I want it now, and we're going to go get it done. (laughs) And he did. Unfortunately... Uh, it, it has not worked out. Now, what will work out is when they sell this and this franchise will be sold. It'll be sold, I think, fairly quickly in probably the next four months. Uh, by, the, by the winter baseball meetings, we may have a new owner with the Angels. The guy paid $184 million for the franchise. It's going to sell for in excess of $2 billion because it's in the Southern California right. market. So, John, that Angels story is staggering. What was your reaction? Did you think this was going to happen? Oh, no. I mean, this completely caught me off guard. I mean, when when Artie Moreno came in as the owner, I was excited. He was bold. I mean, he lowered beer prices. He signed the, the free agents. And you know, I've always rooted for the Angels. You know, they're like the American League team here in SoCal. Um, you know, and Poway's own Phil Nevin is the manager of the of the Angels. So I've always been rooting for him. It's sad that Moreno's cashing out, but he's going to make some bank now. Oh, very much so. And if that wasn't enough in Southern California, the team that's running away with the National League West is making news. And this will be a cross that they're going to have to bear at Dodger Stadium. They lose Walker Bueller. Now, we talked last week about the ace of the Dodgers staff was going to undergo exploratory surgery. They thought that Walker Bueller 
had some type of damage to the tendon in his elbow, which they could fix. They did not think it was ligament replacement surgery. But when Dr. Neil Alatrache got in there and did the scope, he found that there was a partial tear of the UCL, the ulnar collateral ligament, Mm -hmm. in the right elbow, in addition to the tendon damage. It had not shown up on the MRIs. So they promptly fixed it. But what it means is the ace of the Dodger staff has now had the surgery twice. You can come back from it. But the rehab is 12 to 14 to 18 months, depending on the pitcher. Uh, he will miss all of 2023. Dodgers will not see him till 2024. So that's a big setback. But they have not caved. The minute there's been something negative happened in Dodger baseball, they're off on another winning streak. I mean, they are sitting here right now about to go 50 games. Think about that. 50 games over 500. Absolutely amazing what the Dodgers have accomplished. And they've had four of their five guys in the rotation on the disabled list for extended periods of time. Bueller gone. Now they just got Dustin May back, and he's had his rehab from his elbow surgery. And he looks electric. And he was electric before he got yeah, hurt. Yeah, he was. So, I mean, for the Dodgers to be with where they are and weathered all these pitching setbacks and they're still pounding the baseball, they got they have their best record in baseball. They will host home field advantage all the playoff series. Even when if they wind up going to the World Series, the bulk of those games for the seven are going to be played at Dodger Stadium where they're drawing 51,000 fans per game. It's, I'll tell you, it's, you're talking about resilience. There you go. Well, they're the definition of next man up, right? I mean, they're so deep as an organization. For the Padres, we're waiting for the first man up. You know, so um, it's it's unbelievable. Now, we got another baseball story we want to talk about, and this is off the field. And this kind of came out of the clear blue sky. His name is Joe Madden. Very successful manager, Tampa Bay. Very successful Chicago Cubs. Went back to the Angels because he worked there for 23 years in the organization with, you know, owned by Artie Moreno, worked with Bud Black, amongst others. He got fired early in the season. Uh, Joe Madden went back to Tampa Bay where he spends the offseason. And in the Tampa Tribune, he ripped the Angel organization. He's really embittered about what happened. He was not given enough time. All the circumstances around him with all the injuries to the free agents, etc., just wore him down. And then he got into a scrap with the front office. Well, the things he told the Tampa Times and the Tampa Tribune is that there is just total failure, relationship, clubhouse dugout to the front office. I mean, it was really a condemnation of Artie Moreno and the culture that exists upstairs. Uh, He says the manager has been made out to be a middleman. There's too much influence from up above, from those guys that do the analytics to what Mm -hmm. goes on in the dugout on Mm -hmm. game day. And he finished off the interview. The general manager ought to come downstairs, put a uniform on, and go sit in that dugout and try to make the decision. <laughs> yeah, right. He was he was really <laughs> critical. Now, he's going to get hired again, probably. He's probably got one more opportunity to be a major league manager. But, boy, he's gone out, out the door with his guns a-blazing. He's a free thinker. He's a free spirit. He is not afraid to say what he believes. I don't know if this will come back to haunt him, but it really casts everything at Angel Stadium in such a negative light about dysfunction and power plays and power control and no unity whatsoever. So it's 
a really bad, bad story as it relates to where the angels go and obviously what Joe Madden had to say. Now, before we go to the next set of topics on the table, let's talk about the fans forum idea that you came up with and we're going to try to make work here on our podcast. Yeah, so the fans forum is we invite you to participate in the podcast. Just uh, get on the, the live stream on either Facebook or on YouTube. And we're streaming live to Twitter. I don't think it'll take the uh, the tweets here. We won't see those, but we'll see the comments from Facebook and YouTube. And, uh, you know, as we get near the end of um, our podcast episode, then we'll entertain your questions and, and comments and we'll get Hacksaw's take on what you bring to the table. Okay, let's switch gears. Topic on the table, NFL, where do you want to start? The Chargers. Got to go to the L.A. Chargers. Well, the Chargers are about ready to open their season, but it looks like they'll open their season without their high-priced cover corner, J.C. Jackson, the ex-New England Patriot. He's got an ankle problem. They're refusing to detail the specifics, but he underwent a surgical procedure on the ankle in New York this week. Uh, it, It was an incision. They won't say whether it was an infection or whether it was a cyst. They say it's not structural, which means it's not bone chips. It's not a mm-hmm. ligament per mm-hmm. se. But on on how long the heel wounds will determine whether he is ready for opening day or whether he sits out four weeks. Uh, he's, he's practiced right up until this past week, but it, the pain got much too severe for him. So that's a, that's a big setback. They Luckily for them, they've got an awful lot of young guys in the secondary growing up on the job together who all played last year, uh, led by Asante Samuel. And they've got uh, Bryce Callahan, who came from the Denver Broncos, who can be a starting corner rather than a slot cover corner. They've, they've got enough DBs to buy a little bit of time. But this kid is brilliant. If you YouTube J.C. Jackson highlights... You'll be staggered by his athleticism, his quickness, his headiness to go get the ball. He had eight interceptions last year in New England. They didn't want to pay him. They let him go. He's got 25 interceptions in four years in the NFL. So that's that's a bit of a setback there So for the Chargers. Now, they're playing their final preseason game in New Orleans. Then they get the next 10 days off. And here come the Raiders. And here comes Kansas City, games one and two of the NFL schedule in the division. So, oh, I can't wait for the NFL to begin. But it's a bit of a setback, but this is not catastrophic. As long as there's no complications, uh, the post uh, surgical procedure on J.C. Jackson. Well, is the head coach in the hot seat? Does he need to win this year? No, he's only a second year head coach. Quit talking to me like you're a fan who does not know anything. <laughs> Everybody I know has got got great trust in this guy. This is the second coming of Sean McVay, and we know what Sean McVay has done in -hmm. Los Angeles with the Rams. I I think that there's no doubt that this is a a bright light guy. Mm -hmm. Uh, Brandon Staley knows how to push the right buttons. A little bit of riverboat gambler in him. But he's got what a lot of coaches in the league wish they had. Justin Herbert. Yeah. That for quarterback, sure. John, is a difference maker. Uh, they have a lot of new pieces on defense. We've talked extensively on our podcast about that. But the truth is, of the six guys they brought in defensively in trades and in free agency, John, they all played for Brandon Staley somewhere along the line. So they know the system. I, I just, I'm going to be fascinated to see what kind of team they have, but out of the gate. Out of the gate's going to be really hard. Now we go from that to the other story, the passing of an icon and a legend. Uh, Len Dawson, quite an interesting guy, uh, legendary Kansas City Chiefs quarterback. He's from Ohio. 
He's from Alliance, Ohio. Way back in the day, he was recruited to play at Ohio State, Sean, and he turned him down. He <laughs> wanted to go to Purdue. He played at Purdue for an assistant coach by the name of Hank Stram. And Len Dawson evolved, got drafted in the NFL, didn't play, sat for five years. Five years? Pittsburgh Steelers had him and never let him get on the field. And Pittsburgh was atrocious at that point in time in the late 50s into the 60s. And he went to Cleveland and he sat. Well, when the American Football League was born, that guy jumped ship. And who lured him to the AFL? His old Purdue coach, Hank Stram. Mm. And what did they accomplish? John, they were fabulous. They designed this high-wire act offense. Lenny Dawson throwing to Otis Taylor, heavy-duty running backs. I mean, they they were one of the first AFL teams to go to the Super Bowl. Uh, independent guy, smart guy, mm-hmm. uh, courageous guy, made mm-hmm. a lot of plays. Mm-hmm. When his career was over, he went right into broadcasting. And he was part of the, the first original NFL special programming they had on HBO, NFL Game Day. That's right. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, he, he was one of the architects of it. And then he went back and he became one of the voices of the Kansas City Chiefs on radio, became a TV sports director in Kansas City. Really neat gentleman. He just passed away at age of 87 of Alzheimer's, uh, being remembered fondly everywhere. And he went to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And this is a kid from tiny Alliance, Ohio, community just down the road from the Hall of Fame and and that football stadium. So he was a special, special gentleman and obviously revered for everything he meant to Kansas City Chief football and what he meant to the marketplace as a working member of the media. Neat gentleman. Yeah, I mean, I just remember him. I mean, he was a little bit before my time, before I started following football. But he was a guy that we we saw in the media, but he was also a guy that was a spokesman for a lot of corporate advertising because he was such a trusted individual. I remember him so much as a young kid watching him quarterback the Chiefs. And the old AFL was a quarterback's league. They had the George Blandas and the Daryl LaMonicas of the mm-hmm. world, and mm-hmm. he was as good as any of them. And then I, then I think the modern-day fan remembers Lenny Dawson as Inside the NFL. Yeah, yeah, The great yeah. TV show that yeah. is still on after, I don't know, 30 to 40 years, so... He was a great gentleman. From that, let's go to the NBA because, boy, there's an awful lot to talk about. I mean, Kevin Durant, I mean, is in the news again. It seems like this guy's one of the best players in the league, but he is always getting on the wrong side of the fans, kind of rubbing them the wrong way. And now there's been this trade talk with the Brooklyn Nets. Well, the talk is over. Uh, He had a meeting a week ago, and we talked briefly about it on our podcast segment. He had a meeting with the owner, Joseph Tsai. And the owner told him, I'm not trading you. This is my team. Your name is on that contract for the next four years. You are not being traded. This after Durant had been given a $10 million roster bonus that he was due. The next day he has to be traded. So this past week, Joseph Sy, Kevin Durant, came to the West Coast, and they met face-to-face with the coach, Steve Nash. Mm-hmm. And Durant was the one who wanted that coach removed. Otherwise, trade me. Well, the owner said, I'm siding with my coach and my general manager. I am not trading you. And I'll tell you, there's been quiet applause around the NBA to Joseph Tsai, who, by the way, is a San Diegan. Yeah. uh, To Joseph Tsai for taking back control of his team, for telling Kevin Durant, in essence, enough with this bleep. It's my team. You're going to do what I say. So now now Kevin Durant issues the statement after the meeting on the West Coast in which he makes the comment, 
we're going forward in a partnership. I don't know how you can have a partnership <laughs> after he smeared the coach and the general manager and demanded a yeah, trade. Yeah. But Durant is a Brooklyn net. Now, the next thing, what happens with his buddy, who's as big a malcontent as I've ever crossed paths with, Kyrie Irving? Because mm-hmm. Kyrie Irving wants out. Kyrie Irving wants to go here, there, and everywhere in a potential trade. So the big question is, do they solve the Kyrie Irving thing? Does Joseph Sy take the same stance with the unvaccinated Kyrie Irving and, and make the same statement to him? You're under contract. You're on my team. You're not going anywhere. And then if, if that's not enough in Brooklyn, they got the third guy, <laughs> Ben Simmons, yeah. the controversial oh, number one yeah. draft pick who sat out, walked out, quit on the Philadelphia 76ers, did not play at all last year, then had back surgery, has had all types of mental health attitude issues. And he's now in Brooklyn, and he's going to have to walk the straight and narrow line with Steve Nash. But this is an organization, you look on paper and you think, John, this looks like a really good basketball team on paper, but they haven't played well together. They've had all these distractions. It's it's really been a big issue. So fascinating what's happened in the last 10 days uh, with the NBA Brooklyn Nets. Now, there are a couple of other storylines in the NBA. Uh, let's just shoot forward here. Is this guy about to get traded? This guy's a pretty good basketball player. Donovan Mitchell, Utah Jazz. You know, they play in Salt Lake City. It's kind of off the beaten path. But he and Rudy Gobert, uh, the starting center, had really formed a great one-two tandem. But they got to the end of the road emotionally, and the Jazz traded the center to the Chicago Bulls in a mega deal. At which point Donovan Mitchell said, not for me. I don't want to be part of rebuilding Put me on the trade block. Well, there's a lot of people talking to Utah about the potential of a blockbuster deal. The Knickerbockers may have the inside track to get him. Uh, New York has eight future first-round draft picks, their own, and four others have made in prior deals as they were tearing down the Knicks franchise. So the rumor mill out there is that the Knicks would trade two of their young veterans— Evan Fournier, a guard, and Obi Toppin, a high number one draft pick just two years ago. Dayton, that's right. University of Dayton star. They would trade those two and five number one picks. Five? Uh, Yeah. But those picks are spread out down the road. It's not going to be immediately. Some of them have protection uh, attached to them. But that's the rumor as we sit here on our podcast tonight that the Knicks are the front runner. Now, there is a report that Cleveland— and Memphis, who both have stockpiles of number one picks also, might be jumping into the conversation at a late date to see if they can get probably Donovan Mitchell. So I would think maybe it'll be by next Thursday's podcast or maybe it'll be before camps open in a couple of weeks. I would do think that uh, Donovan Mitchell is going to be traded. Now, the third guy in the middle of all this trade room is a guy that's not tradable right now. We're talking about Russell Westbrook. Lakers have shopped and shopped and shopped him. He's got a $47 million final year attached to his contract, John. And the big issue is nobody wants to take on that contract for one year. He doesn't want to give any money back to make a deal affordable for whatever team that takes him. Uh, There was talk they needed really a third team to come in to make all the salary cap restrictions fit. He's still a member of the Lakers. Uh, so, so I don't know what the Lakers are going to do. They got a lot of square pegs and round holes that don't fit. Uh, they gutted the veterans off their roster. They have a lot of really young players. Now, they just did make a trade early Thursday morning uh, to acquire Patrick Beverly, the very controversial <laughs> yeah, guard. I remember him. Oh, very From the Clippers. In your face. Yeah. Uh, they just made a trade with the Minnesota Timberwolves. And, and 
at first glance, you say, why would you trade a 21-year-old Talon Horton Tucker and another player, Stanley Johnson, to Minnesota for a 34-year-old? But Patrick Beverly is, is an agitator. He's a feisty guy. He can shoot the three. He can run your offense. And he will definitely get in your face until uh, <laughs> he uses up all the fouls. Right. So they're changing the chemistry there. But I don't know where how Beverly plays if Westbrook is still on the basketball team. So this bears watching. The Lakers, Lakers to me, have just – it's an enormous chemistry experiment. And they tried it last year with veteran players like Carmelo Anthony, and it blew up in their face. Now they're trying it with a lot of young guys. But I will say this about Beverly, although he wears you out watching him because he yaps all the time. (laughs) I will say this about Patrick Beverly. You'd like to have him on your team rather than have to bring the ball down the court against him because he's in your face and he won't shut up at all. But this will be an interesting trade to see what the chemistry looks like. And again, within the next couple of weeks, does Westbrook stay? Does Westbrook go to the Indiana Pacers in a deal for Buddy Heald? Uh, I don't know. Will the Lakers buy this guy out and just get him off the roster? Or can the new coach, Darvin Ham, John, make a difference and communicate with this guy? Because this guy's career, you follow the NBA like I do, this guy's career has really spiraled down. This is not the same basketball player that used to be at Oklahoma City that would just wear you out and kill you because it could hurt you in so many different ways. Him and the same player. I mean, it's they called him, what, Russell Westbrick, right? Yeah. I mean, because he, he just lost the magic touch. But he's a guy that, in an offense, he's the main dude. You know, he's the guy with the ball, taking the shots. Playing with other superstars just kind of conflicts with his style. Last I checked in the rule book, I think it's page 33 underneath the coffee stain. There's only one basketball on the floor at a time, and mm-hmm. you've got three superstars who need the basketball to be That's who right. they are. That's a big issue. Speaking of Lakers, one other note. Uh, this was kind of a, a sudden decision. Uh, the Kobe Bryant-Vanessa Bryant lawsuit against the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department. Vanessa Bryant on Thursday was awarded $16 million for the invasion of privacy by the L.A. County Sheriff's Department. There are reportedly six or seven firemen and sheriff's deputies that evidently took pictures of the crash site that included pictures of Kobe Bryant's body, the body of the daughter, etc. Hmm. Uh, just uh, you, you think about why would anybody ever do that? You know, the, the sheriff's department in the course of the short, short trial went a lot shorter than I thought it would. Uh, made, made the comment, well, we take all these photos for investigative procedures to learn how to cover crash sites. Well, these guys took these photos and they showed them to other firefighters and, and sheriff's department officials. And one of them took them to a bar and showed them to a bartender. Jeez. I mean, you talk about ethics and morals and lack of values. There's a responsibility that the people who are blue have. Mm-hmm. And they step way over the line mm-hmm. here. I mean, I have great respect for everybody in, in law enforcement and the job they do in a very tough time in our society. But this was so disgraceful. And to me, it was such a turnoff. And Vanessa Bryant walked out of the courtroom twice during testimony in tears, just emotionally can't mm-hmm. handle it. Uh, but she was awarded $16 million in damages and a husband of another girl who died in that helicopter crash was attached to this case he was awarded 15 million mm-hmm. and i gotta believe that some of the other families there a total of eight people or nine people died mm-hmm. uh that some of these other families may follow up with another lawsuit but uh, uh very emotional to to read and to follow and very hard on vanessa bryant and i don't think it was about the money i just think it was about the ethics 
of what these guys did. I, I can't believe a human being would do that to mm-hmm. another human being, mm-hmm. especially when you understand who that human being was that died in a crash. Yeah, and and even the uh, the baseball coach from Orange Coast College was on that that plane flight because uh, his daughter played ball with uh, Kobe and Vanessa's daughter. But uh, yeah, you, you the 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 the, the fire department, the police department to protect and serve. But it's probably a few bad apples, but it reflects badly on the whole organization. I agree. All right, let's move on. Next topic on the table. And I'll tell you what, we talk about the word earthquake sometimes and all these stories break. (laughs) This thing on the PGA Tour is absolutely amazing. Here's the backstory. Last week at the FedEx Cup playoff in Delaware, Tiger Woods called an emergency meeting with Rory McIlroy And they invited 23 other guys on the PGA Tour to come to Wilmington, Delaware. Most of the guys were playing in that tournament uh, to come to the BMW Championship. And they held a private meeting and they talked about the future of the PGA Tour in the wake of what's happened with LIV, the Saudi Super League, stealing 30 players Mm. who've gone abroad to play Mm -hmm. and been suspended by the PGA. And it's the first time in the history of golf that all the superstars or what was left of the superstars got together privately outside of the circle of PGA leadership and just met amongst themselves to talk about the future of the tour and what should be done. Well, they came up with a 10-point proposal that they made uh, to Jay Monahan, the commissioner of the PGA, and it was accepted. And they are making radical financial changes in the PGA Tour effective a year from now. This this is in response to what LIV has done to steal all these golfers, mm-hmm. and I'll, I'm going to give you I'm going to give you a question at the end of my statement <laughs> here. I just want you to pay attention. Follow me. Okay. Amongst the changes, they they are going to elevate 16 tournaments on the tour and make them elite status and attach a $20 million prize to each of those tournaments. And I'm led to believe, it has not been named yet, I am led to believe that the Farmers Open at Torrey Pines is going to be one of those elite tournaments. It'll right on. be $20 million, which is absolutely amazing. Now, as a trade-off, the commissioner said, if we're putting this money out there for each of these, quote, elite tournaments, I'm not talking about the Masters or the U.S. Open or, or mm-hmm. you know, the, the Grand Slams. I'm talking about 20 other or these tournaments. You guys have to play in them. Now, the old rule was that John Raleigh could select 15 tournaments a year and play anywhere he wanted as long as he got to 15. Mm-hmm. The top 20 guys on the tour have agreed to play in every one of these elite tournaments which means that the Phil Mickelsons of the world are not going to boycott what was the Farmers Open. Right on. Everybody has to go forward. In addition to that, they have this player program that helps promote the sport. And they have they have points that they give out to each guy on the tour for what he does on the course, but what he does in the community on behalf of the PGA. They are making available $100 million bonus money for the top 20 players to split based on their achievements on the course and off the course in any given calendar year. It's called a PIP. Mm. Kind of hard to explain, but it's a way to give players more money for things they do in the community on behalf of the PGA Tour. It's kind of fascinating. Right on. There's a developmental tour. It's called the Corn Ferry Tour. It's like minor league baseball. Was that like the Nike Tour back in the day? Back in the day. Yeah. And they have taken $500,000, and they have thrown that into a bonus pool for all the young guys 
who are trying to get to the tour card, the top guys in that tour are all going to get paydays as part of this bonus system Mm -hmm. that the PGA has made available. In addition, they're coming up with money for anybody who fails to make the cut in any tournament on the calendar. Mm -hmm. He will get paid a stipend, a travel fee stipend. Okay. To kind of cover his expenses. You know, we we know about Tiger and we know about Phil and we know about the guys making Boku bucks. Mm-hmm. But the guys in the back end on the leaderboard that don't make the cut, they're scuffling financially. They may have sponsorship, but not the sponsorships that the superstars have. So the PGA has added that uh, into the equation. Uh, there was conversation. I, I got this from an agent. There was conversation as part of the Tiger Rory thing that there might be a one-time offer from the PGA to the guys that went abroad that they would lift the suspension if those guys would agree to come back. But Jay Monahan said today uh, that in Atlanta, or the Tour Championship is underway, the $75 million final event of the year. He said, we are not lifting the suspensions to any of the 30 guys that have gone abroad, mm-hmm. that they made their decision. And by the way, they're suing us, so why would we let them back? So right. that it's it's interesting what has transpired. Uh, Tiger called it. They had ideas going in. They came out of that meeting in Delaware a week ago with kind of a blood oath that they would stick together. Nobody would leave the tour from this day forward to go to Saudi Arabia's tour. Uh, and that they, they would drive towards unity in a business partnership. So I just gave you details of all the things that they've agreed to, and they agreed to it in a very lickety-split fashion. Mm-hmm. Here's my question, John, and I'll challenge you to answer this. PGA all of a sudden has all this money to give away to the players. <laughs> all of a sudden? <laughs> yeah. Uh, where was this the last two years, the last five yeah. years, the last ten years? Right. When people like Phil Mickelson were saying – they're hoarding their money, and they're not sharing it with the guys that are making the tour successful. Right. Might be a shred of two, truth for what Phil Mickelson had to say. So interesting going forward. Jay Monahan says this is a win-win for everybody. I just asked the question, how come this was not made available prior? Because now it's obvious that you were sitting on gold for a long time mm-hmm. and not sharing it with the guys that are making the tour Tremendously successful. So, response? So, I mean, the reason it wasn't there was because there was no competitive league. I mean, that, and once LIV came onto the stage, then yeah, now they had options. Now they had choices. Like free market capitalism. I mean, that's what's going on here. Now it's a shame. I mean, everything going on with LIV and the Saudi prince and and all the political and unrest in the Middle East that's connected to that makes it, in my opinion, an immoral move on that level. But on a financial level, it's hard to blame them. All right, let's move on. Next set of topics on the table in a minute. First of all, for the fans forum, for the people that are joining us live for the first time, they have a chance to be part of our podcast every Thursday. That's right, Lee. And so, you know, we're doing the fans forum. We'll do it at the very end after we get through Hacksaw's best 15 minutes. It's actually probably best 38 minutes now. But when we get through Hacksaw's headlines, we'll take your questions, take your comments. It's just like the old days of the mighty 690 (laughs) when you can get those lines lit. But now it's going to be in the Facebook chat and in the YouTube chat. So by all means, load up the questions now if you can. We'll see them on our screen and we'll address your questions and comments when we finish up Hacksaw's headlines. Okay, let's move on. Next topic on the table is hockey. Uh, It has been a wild summer in Calgary, Alberta. Calgary Flames under Daryl Sutter had a 100-point season. They have now gotten rid of their top three 
goal scorers. Their hand was forced a couple of times, but they have just traded Sean Monahan, who scored 220 goals with the Calgary Flames. He goes to the Montreal Canadiens to get a $7 million off the off contract off the table. What they did was they turned around after they traded Monahan and they signed the top unsigned free agent, Colorado Avalanche star Nazim Kadri who had been out there for almost a month unsigned. But I felt all along there was something going on behind the scenes, and it had to do with people moving contracts and money around to make space. Monaghan's a really good player, goes to Montreal. He's got only one year left on his contract. But this is a Calgary Flames team that lost Johnny Goudreau, 44-goal scorer to free Mm -hmm. agency, went to Columbus. Johnny Hockey turned down massive amounts of money in Calgary to come across the border. And then... They traded Matthew Kuchuk. He wound up going to Florida in a transaction. That's a 40-goal guy. He's gone. And now they move Monaghan, the third goal scorer. So they've really changed the face of the team. But I will say this. The management of the Calgary Flames kind of came out of this thing pretty good because they not not only got Kadri, they got Jonathan Hudrow from the Florida Panthers. They got multiple number one picks. Uh, and they didn't kill themselves with the salary cap. It'll be very. It'll be a new team. It'll be a very different team. But I mean, it's amazing when you, your top three goal scorers are gone from a 100 point team, John. Mm-hmm. You never, never, ever see that again. Uh, let's go from that. Let's go to soccer. Uh, en- enormous controversy. Uh, the opening week of the English Premier League. That guy is Christian Pulisic. Uh, he wanted to be traded. Chelsea, which has had his rights for a couple of years, shopped them. Uh, There was talk he might go to Newcastle United within the league. There was talk Manchester United made a run at him. There was talk about him going to Juventus in Italy. They this week decided to hold on to Pulisic. I don't know that they've solved the issue with the coach Thomas Tuchel because he has not made Pulisic a starter. And the people here stateside that follow soccer know how good he has been for Team USA in international play. Mm -hmm. And we're going towards Qatar in November when the World Cup starts and he will be the flag carrier for the red, white, and blue but he is staying there. Meanwhile there's just enormous controversy outside of London. Manchester United legendary team John finally won their first game. They're one (laughs) and two. Manchester United has not been one and two since who knows when back in the 60s and 70s. Cristiano Ronaldo is a huge problem for them. He wants out. He wants to go back to Italy. He has not played the last couple of games. In fact, Manchester United benched him and another one of their big acquisitions, Harry Maguire, last weekend and did not play them, but did wind up winning their first game of the season over Liverpool on Monday, which was a bit of a surprise. Yeah, for sure. So Ronaldo is is probably going to get moved in some type of transfer fee deal. It'll be a big money acquisition, but he just has not fit what they're doing there. And, of course, they have a new coach and have gone through coaching turnover and roster turnover and personality clashes. Ronaldo is gone. And I'll tell you, it's uh, this strange start to the English Premier League season. And the EPL is the elite league globally. Mm-hmm. Um, and we got people like Liverpool that haven't won a game yet. And that's one of the, the fabulous franchises yeah, in the EPL. Sure. And Manchester United off to just a wretched start. It's just really been surprising what's transpired. And then you add into the Pulisic controversy in uh, Chelsea. So that'll be interesting to watch what happens with that coach and that USA player on Chelsea. Because the Blues are one of the great, great franchises historically uh, in the league. So it's been a really interesting couple of weeks there 
in soccer. And let's talk about the stadiums because we've <laughs> got to talk about yeah, the stadiums. So, sure. what's your reaction to the brand new stadium uh, that San Diego State will call home beginning a week from now? I mean, it's awesome. I mean, with the little bits of pieces that I've seen of it, it's a beautiful stadium. It, it's modern. It's it's going to bring the Aztec program up to a new level. What a great recruiting tool, um, not just for football, but for all the sports. I know this is the time of the year they bring the basketball recruits to football games, but something that the city of San Diego really take pride in. I mean, this looks like to be a real jewel. Uh, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I'll sign that memo. I will tell you that the health of your city is based on the facilities that you have to offer the public. And we got the shiny thing at Petco Park, which has just become a gem downtown. And what's that meant to the Gaslamp Quarter in the East Village? Now we got this college football stadium. It's the beginning of the expansion of the SDSU Mission Valley portion of the campus. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went for a tour with the media this past week. Uh, it's snazzy. It's only 35000 But, John, there's not a bad seat in the house. I don't care if you're in a skybox where you've got to pay a lot of money to sit mm-hmm. or you're on the top row. You are right on top of the field. The way they designed this has just been spectacular. It's steep. It's almost like an overhang on the field. You are right on top of all the action. You're sitting in the end zone, but because it's a close stadium, great sight lines in any direction. I was fascinated by it. Is it an NFL stadium? No. Does it have those kind of skyboxes? No. Right. It's a really snazzy college football stadium. And I I give a tremendous amount of credit to J.D. Wicker, the director of athletics, because think about this. They started planning for this in 18 and 19. They started the construction and they got whacked by the pandemic. <laughs> They did, yeah, they, not, did. they did not have shortages in terms of material because everything had been pre-ordered. Oh, yeah. They got a tremendous break on the debt load because mm-hmm. they negotiated at much lower interest rates. They had over twelve to 1,500 workers fully employed, taking down the old stadium, landscaping everything, putting the new stadium up. They got it built under cost, $310 million, on time. In the middle of a pandemic. Think about yeah, that. Yeah, that's so, something. A lot of credit. This this is this is a, a gold medal, I think, goes on the resume of the director of athletics, J.D. Wicker. It'll be fun to see. They open with Arizona. Aztecs have a really tough football schedule. We'll talk more about that next week in our podcast. But uh, this is pretty impressive. And the other thing that's unique, you know, when you, you go to old Qualcomm Stadium, even when you go to Petco Park, it's kind of like a big cement place. Mm-hmm. This thing is open aired. Nice. This thing, this thing has wind that blows through it because <laughs> it was almost like it's been put together in an erector set. Here's one sideline. Here's the end zone. Here's the other sideline. Here's the other end zone. There's open spaces, so it'd be fascinating to see how the wind plays there. You're not sitting in a bowl surrounded by fans and cement. So. Well, they were saying that in the scrimmage, the wind played a role in in the punting, the kicking, the throwing game. So, yeah, this is going to be a totally different experience for yeah. the players and the fans. A unique home field advantage, uh, the weather elements. And I, I give credit because Brady Hoke and San Diego State, think about this. They played two years on the road. They have not had a home game 
since pre-pandemic, have not played a home game since 2019 because they played two years up in Carson. Mm-hmm. As good as this program has been, it's had no home field advantage. So that's that will be interesting to see. I think the community will love it. It'll be interesting to see what kind of edge San Diego State gets. The other facility in town is going to go away. <laughs> oh, thank uh, God. <laughs> yeah. I, we have the sports arena, which back in the day really filled a purpose. It was kind of a mini Great Western Forum. You know, mm-hmm. that was the first time I drove by it when I came to San Diego in the mid-1980s. I said, that's just like the Great Western Forum in L.A., kind of a smaller model. Um, San Diego, the mayor and city council have chosen Midway Rising to build a new sports arena as part of a massive construction project for 4,200 housing units, parks, retail on the sports arena site, uh, the Midway District. Uh, It's not going to happen a week from Monday. It's going to take a long period of time. But we will have a shiny new indoor arena, 14,000. I don't know that that's anywhere big enough for the NBA or the NHL, but it'll be a great entertainment venue, which is huge for our community. I go back to my original comment. The success of your community is based on the facilities you have to offer to the fans. Mm -hmm. So they've stepped forward. They're taking the step forward to build this. Whether or not we ever get an NHL or an NBA team remains to be seen. But with skyboxes and 14,000 seats, you can put a lot of events in there. Now, it will compete probably for athletic events with Viejas Arena, Mm -hmm. which has been in operation over a decade now at San Diego State. So in terms of can we get NCAA tournament games in there? Well, that'll be a bidding war between the city of San Diego and San Diego State. But um, hats off. They finally got it done. And the sports arena served an enormous, enormous thing for our community. Home of the NBA, uh, obviously home of hockey. Uh, The San Diego Gulls are one of the elite teams in the American Hockey League. Mm -hmm. They'll be excited. I don't know where they're going to play while the new one is being built. But it's really good to have a shiny new facility. So, like I said, ton of topics on the table. We just kind of covered everything there is in the world of sports today. Well, I I just want to share a story. This is kind of one of my memories. Back in 82, 83, I was a freshman at UCSD. And I I worked at the sports arena. I was the guy going up and down the aisle selling popcorn and, and soda. And it was a great gig because you worked for three quarters and then you got to sit and watch the fourth quarter. And back in the day, the Clippers were terrible, of course. Um, this is when Bill Walton, his ankle was always screwed up and he was um, on the bench. But whenever the Lakers and Celtics came into town, oh, that arena filled up. And boy, was it fun. Uh, yeah, that arena is tired the city has been trying so hard to redevelop it. They've had legal challenges. It's gone to vote multiple times, but it's not just the arena. The whole area is going to be upgraded, and I think it's going to be a big win for the city. Prime example, John, look to the gas lamp quarter. Right. What that was before John Moore's Larry Lacino did what they did, mm-hmm. became Petco Park, and its impact on the gas lamp and the East Village going forward. It's- this, I agree with you wholeheartedly, this, this will have some type of spillover effect. All right, Fans Forum. We, we invite you to join us every Thursday. If you've got questions, we've got answers. John, fire away, pick and choose maybe four or five, and let's see what the fans have got to ask us. All right, so a uh, couple of things here. Um, kind of scrolling through the list. Um, here's a good one from Angel Bar- Barragans Jr., San Diego is a forgiven city and the fan base. So I think Fernando Tatis Jr. learned his lesson and will redeem himself. 
He's got plenty of time. That's a great comment, Angel. He's got plenty of time to redeem himself. But he's going to have to subscribe to the way he lives his life. And the way he lives his life going forward is going to be dictated by the San Diego Padres. Because if he has another incident, he puts that contract in jeopardy. If he has another drug-related incident, he's facing a year's suspension, which really impacts his Major League Baseball career. But if he does the right things, and like I said at the onset of our podcast— actions now replaces words. If he does, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Uh, He'll be back in the good graces of Padre fans, but he's got a lot of work to be done. And I'll tell you, there's an intangible thing here, John. Eight months. I mean, he's out of this mix for eight months. He can work out with the team, uh, but he has to be out of the stadium by five o'clock. He can't travel. So he he's really limited as to being a member of the organization itself. But uh, eight months is a long, long time. But there'll be rehab because he's got, he's going to have the shoulder surgery almost immediately, and there'll be five to six months of rehab there. But yeah, Angel, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Well, here here's another question uh, from Steve Zach B- Botsford. Do you think the Padres got any shot at a wild card slot? This is so hard, Steve. They got this thing jammed into reverse gear. Uh, you know, like like I just said, the Padres are under 500 uh, since early June, and the Padres are not hitting at all, and that's a big issue. I think the Padre pitching staff is fatigued. I'm I'm alarmed that Musgrove has gone 10 straight starts without a victory. He was eight no, he's eight and five. Uh, Blake Snell, as dominant as he is for three or four innings, is a five inning pitcher. Mike Clevenger's a five-inning pitcher. Mm-hmm. Uh, they put an awful lot, John, on on you, Darvish. It's just going to be a huge challenge. And the guys behind him, and that's the thing that's scary, is St. Louis has got Arenado and Goldschmidt and a bunch of young guys that are hitting the daylights out of the ball. And now Bryce Harper's come back. He'd been gone <laughs> with his broken thumb for a month, and yeah. he's just pounding the ball. And here comes Philadelphia. Milwaukee may have traded themselves out of the wild card race by the Josh Hader situation. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, yeah, the Padres still have an opportunity to do this. But that schedule, pal, they got nine more games with the Dodgers. And do you think the Dodgers are taking their foot off the pedal? Because the Dodgers want home field advantage for the whole party. Mm -hmm. I mean, did you see the the comment? Um, It was... uh Oral Hershiser was broadcasting the Dodger Brewers game, and they were talking about how the Dodgers were they were losing and they were disappointed. But Hershiser said, "Well, at least when the Brewers win, it hurts the Padres." And you're like, "Wait a minute, do we have a rivalry or do we not have a rivalry? What do you think?" We have a rivalry, and there's guys on both street corners in the working media that make it a rivalry, and the players are getting excited mm-hmm. about the rivalry. But you know, until you beat them, until you take them away, take them out of it. They're still the dominant team. And what they've done this year, like we alluded to early in our podcast, what they've done this year with four starting pitchers out yeah, is incredible. stunning. I mean, it'd be 50 games above 500. Next question. Well, there's another comment from Steve. Love your facts, Hacksaw. The best. You are bleeping brilliant. I'll sign that memo. You are correct. You bought into everything I said, and what I said was true. Thank you very much. Yeah, so here's <laughs> another comment from Angel. It's going to get awkward in Brooklyn. Do you think Kevin Durant will still be a net by the 2023 NBA All-Star Game? He owes them four years, and that owner is getting accolades for taking back control of the franchise, so I don't think there's any doubt. Now, whether they play together, whether they win together, or whether they implode remains to be seen because Kyrie Irving is an issue off the court. 
And then you got all the things swirling around with Ben Simmons, who hasn't proven he's a mature basketball player, might be a talented player. But that misery that he put the 76ers through last year that caused the issue is a big, big issue. Here's another person chiming in. Robert says, the Padres look so anemic batting. How come we aren't hearing from the hitting coach? I don't quite understand what's going on in that dugout. I mean, there's been an awful lot said about Ruben Niebla, the uh, pitching coach, who I think has had pretty good impact on most of these starting pitchers. But there's not been an awful lot of critique of the hitting coach. But it's got to come from the players. The players have to solve this, and they've not solved this. And these statistics are just god-awful. As I said at the onset of our, our podcast, they're hitting 231 at Petco Park. How can you be hitting 231 at home? <laughs> That's unbelievable. Hitting 242 on the road. And, and, and I've never seen a stat like this, Rob. 106 with runners in scoring position in the last 10 games. And it's been like that all year. And uh, Manny Machado's had a great individual season, but he can't do it by himself. The most positive thing to me has been the involvement of Hassan Kim as shortstop with his glove. And now with his bat, yeah. that's been pretty impressive. The most disappointing thing to me, a lot of names, and I'll check those boxes off, Trent Grisham, uh, Will Myers, mm. anybody behind home plate, <laughs> uh, they've, just, they've just got a lot of deficiencies. And yeah, hitting, hitting coach, that comes under scrutiny by the time we get to the end of the season. And even if you get to the playoffs, if you get the wild card, this is the big issue. You're going to have to go play in Atlanta, or you're going to have to go play the New York Mets. Uh, and if you win a, a wild card slot, you have to play on the road. And those guys are going to get all three of the games there. And that's why I said it was so critical that they finish first in the wild card race when the Dodgers ran away from them, finish first in a wild card. And they obviously have not. So listen, explain to the fans about the fans forum and how they can latch onto this and where they can catch your podcast that we post every Thursday. So the podcast here every Thursday at three o'clock. Hacksaw's headlines. We're doing the live stream on Facebook, on YouTube, and Twitter. So if you're watching on any of those platforms, you can see it live. The recorded version, of course, is going to be on Hacksaw's Facebook page, his Twitter page, and his YouTube channel. Now, the audio-only version of this podcast you can get on all of your popular podcast platforms like Spotify, iHeartRadio, what were the other ones? Stitcher. We're on every one of them except Apple Podcasts. We're waiting for them to approve Hacksaw's headlines. It's going to be happening any moment now. But we're getting a, a ton of views. The traffic, Lee, on the YouTube channel has been unbelievable. The views, the downloads, the comments. I mean, this has really taken off. Here's what I request. Two favors from those of you that are joining us. Text, email, tweet your friends to check out our podcast. And secondly, check my website. I have a written website. It's a ton of sports every day of the week. It's posted late in the evening. It's there the entire next day. It's the best 15 minutes in radio. It's Hacksaw's Headlines and in my one man's opinion column. And it's my website, LeeHacksawHamilton.com. Hey, thanks for being with us. John and I are always glad to talk sports with you. We'll see you next Thursday. Thank you for joining our show weekly. Join us again for Hacksaw's Headlines on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. And find the audio version on your favorite podcast app. Touchdown, San Diego! For more content, go to LeeHacksawHamilton.com.